Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love Mysterious Old Time Radio Stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's still 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we join each other via Zoom to bring you the sixth and final entry in our epic Suspensorama. Previous installments were chosen by our listeners, but in honor of our 200th episode, your mysterious old hosts picked today's episode, The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker was written by one of the Golden Age of Radio's most celebrated writers, Lucille Fletcher. After graduating from Vassar College in 1933, Fletcher spent most of the Depression working for CBS Radio as a music librarian, publicity writer, and most significantly, a typist. Between 1934 and 1939, Fletcher typed and read hundreds of radio plays, slowly but surely mastering the form. In 1940, on a road trip with her husband, film and radio composer Bernard Herrmann, Fletcher noticed an odd-looking man on the Brooklyn Bridge. The same man appeared again on the Pulaski Skyway Bridge. This strange experience gave her the idea for her first original radio play, The Hitchhiker, written specifically for Orson Welles. The Hitchhiker made its debut in 1941 on The Orson Welles Show, a later iteration of the Mercury Theater on the Air. CBS was so pleased with the play, Welles was invited to perform it again in 1942 for the debut season of Suspense. Twenty years later, Rod Serling adapted the play for The Twilight Zone. Fletcher's greatest radio success came in 1943 when Suspense aired her play Sorry Wrong Number, starring the first lady of Suspense, Agnes Moorhead. Audiences were transfixed and demanded to hear the story over and over again. Orson Welles called it the greatest single radio script ever written, and in 1948, Fletcher adapted the story for a feature film starring Barbara Stanwyck, who earned an Academy Award nomination for her performance. Fletcher went on to write novels, screenplays, and even the libretto for an opera based on Wuthering Heights, but she is best remembered for her contributions to dramatic radio, particularly her scripts for suspense. In an interview with the Washington Post, Fletcher said, Writing suspense stories is like working on a puzzle. You bury the secret, lead the reader down the path, put in false leads, and throughout the story remain completely logical. And now, let's listen to The Hitchhiker. First aired September 2nd, 1942. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you... Suspense. Suspense. 
Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann, the notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. I'm very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network, even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who is tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. We came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now and to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story, but I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly, a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. I'm in an auto camp on... Route 66, just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age. Unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. 
The last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss. And I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh, no, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh. Hey, what's this? Tears? I thought you'd promise me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I, I'm sorry. But I I do hate to oh, see mother, you. Both. I'll be back. It'll only be the, on the course three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's, it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you two. Oh, and why? I mean, as soon as you get to Hollywood, won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads. With a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits. Drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beat me to the Skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. Then late that night... I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him, standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I'd seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain spattered over his shoulders. He hallooed at me this time. Hello? Hello? I stepped on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, neither the Willies. Stopped at the next gas station. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. Nice night, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. 
There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh, uh, uh what about hitchhikers? <laughs> hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. I was just uh, a technical question. <laughs> I see. Well, that'll be just a dollar forty-nine with the tax. The thing gradually passed through my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until... Just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It was a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Now, let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, or was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, a cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. Then he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello? 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 No, not just now, sorry. Going to California? No, not today. The other way. Going to New York. Sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of <clears throat> picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. At the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. After hour went by, fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime. But we're closed up now for the I night. I know, but I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee, just... No, not this time want... of night, mister. My wife's a cook. She's in bed. Oh, no, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago... Uh, <laughs> just a minute ago, there was a man standing here right beside the stand, a suspicious-looking man. I, I don't mean to disturb it. You see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How was he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call out Sheriff Oaks. 
got into the car again and drove on slowly. I was getting to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. A few resort places there were closed, only an occasional log cabin, seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. next afternoon. I stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by when he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, bearing the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then. Something went wrong with the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. Oh, I frustrated him that time. The starter worked at last. I managed to back up. When the train passed, he was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break this is. hitchhike much? Sure, only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the brakes. Uh, I should think it would be, though. I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm, I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't, couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town... Or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, 
no difference. It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. Oh, imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself? Why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. But if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Hey, look out! Did you see him? See whom? A man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I, it wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and, and a wire fence. No? What did you think he was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence? There's a man fence? there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? Kill him? Say so you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as watch I for him the next time and keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! <laughs> door work. I, I'm getting out of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long, driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me. You Mr. can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just, just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There. I got it now. Now you can't go. Please. Come Get your back. hands off me. Do you hear me? Get your hands off me. She ran from me. As though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was. Utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me. Emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out then and there. For now he began to be everywhere. Whenever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for... Drink a pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich. He was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was sitting near the drinking fountain of a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was... I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in, in lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. 
No, he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like uh, I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm a, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 200828. I read somewhere that love could banish demons. It's the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right, deposit another dollar and a half. Will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? Hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Uh, where, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who the... is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? Well, what's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is Nervous calling? breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? 
Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. Trying to get hold of myself. Otherwise, I... I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. ends The Hitchhiker, and to Orson Welles, our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Welles, help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How would you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke, but believe me, it's no joke. It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany and the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war. And he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct 10 cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today and when victory comes, you'll have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, the United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, 
attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Hitchhiker. Here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. And once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That's our 200th episode uh, offering as we uh, wrap up our Suspenso-Rama and celebrate our 200th episode. So let's start with congratulations, boys, on our 200th episode. Now we've perfected it. (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying this for the years we've been doing this podcast that I knew, oh, I've always wanted to listen to The Hitchhiker. I just never got around to it, but I knew of it. And I knew, and when we started the podcast, I said, well, don't listen to The Hitchhiker. It's going to come up in the podcast. I didn't know it was going to take 200 episodes before I'd finally get the opportunity to listen to this <laughs> classic. Because all the other classics that I had not heard before, I was like, oh, that came up quick. Good. I got to hear that one. I got to hear that one. Oh, there's another one I've been waiting for. Great. 200 I've been waiting for. And there's a couple more on our list we still haven't got to that I've been holding on to. And it drives me crazy because they'll pop up on different algorithms on my computer and like, you should listen to this. And I'm like, I know, shut up, algorithm. (laughs) I'm well aware. I can't. And so uh, anyway, I can't think of anything in my life that was more worth the wait. The buildup was... It was 20 years. You should listen to this. And then this podcast and then 200 episodes and everybody, ah, it's great. And I went, oh my God, this is going to suck. This is too much. This better be the best thing ever. And holy crap, is that good? Wow. I have no notes, as I say to my students. <laughs> well, and going into this with uh, Orson Welles' defensive slash praising, like, <laughs> This is a good story. Shut up. Don't send us letters. Before we talk about that opening of Orson, I want to get this out there, and I want everybody to mark this in their brain that I'm saying this, so that when we talk about that opening later, they're not like, Orson. That is the single best performance I've ever heard Orson Welles do. That is a gorgeous performance forget it's orson wells just as an actor that is unbelievably perfect forget about radio drama just stage screen anything that is a flawless performance from what i understand it was written for him so that makes it easier (laughs) well no like it's great when someone knocks out of the park and you know it was probably exactly what Lucille Fletcher was imagining as she wrote it, too. It's this perfect meshing of the script and performer. Mm -hmm. And then you add uh, Bernard Herrmann's really subdued Mm -hmm. and haunting soundtrack to it, Mm -hmm. uh, including a little uh, funeral march of a marionette right at the top during uh, (laughs) Orson Welles' intro. It's the Alfred Hitchcock Presents song. You know, yeah, well, and then you're like, no, it's Yeah, it was not. hard not to draw an association between the two. That song has been around since 1870. That doesn't belong to Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, as someone who had never heard it, there is an episode of, I believe, The Whistler, where there is a hitchhiker 
that keeps appearing that mm. isn't this. That rings a bell. I yeah. think you're crazy. But I kept thinking, oh, I've heard this. And then when it got to the phone call to his mom and the ending, I went, nope. But there's another episode of some other show that is very close to this up until the last 10 minutes. And I well, can't pinpoint it. Spooky hitchhikers are a common <laughs> horror story, right? It feels right, like an right. urban myth. And I think of that's course. what's so effective about it is because it starts in a way that feels like that's one of those weird things that you think you see out of the corner of your eye or for a moment to get disturbed by in real life. But then right. when it keeps going. But the fact that it starts from such a mundane, everyday place. And Fletcher is smart enough to keep all the details really mundane. She goes out of her way to underscore how not at all scary or intimidating this figure is. It's merely the fact that he continues to appear over and over and over again. Well, the details grow to be scary of the rain on his coat that as he becomes more obsessed with this figure of like, where would he have been rained on? And it's nice how those details are layered in because continually when he describes the next day, he always says it's bright and sunny. Yeah. They never beat you over the head with these details. It's in the production, too, of, like, the phone call with muscling through all 12 coins that were put in there for the long-distance call. The entire phone call scene is masterful. It's so suspenseful and slow in a beautiful way from picking up the phone. I got to call someone I love. I forget the exact line. I have it written down, but it doesn't love matter. Love can banish demons yes. is yes. the line. And I love that line. And then he's got to talk to his mom. And then the excruciating reality of making the long distance call and the operators talking to each other and then getting there and then tolling of the bells as the coins go in. And it's just so slow, but not unearned and so well performed. At what point? Well, you guys have heard it before. I was kind of caught off guard. It was about the middle of it when I went of the phone call. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> I die. see what's going on. It's been a while since I heard it. So as the coins going in there, I began to doubt if I remembered it correctly and thought, is he going to call and find out she's dead? Right. The storyline was not so iconic in my head that I like, of course, that's what it is. I just remember this sort of dread of this recurring hitchhiker. You obviously know you're about to receive some significant information from this phone call based on where it is in the story and the amount of suspense and tension as he slowly makes the connection. But I don't remember tweaking that it was him who died. That was a shock to me. Yeah. I thought there would be some real life explanation, like a guy was trying to track him down because his mother mm -hmm. died or something like that. I was tricked by the usual format of suspense where they don't embrace the supernatural the first time I heard it. And you know how it's ruined by Orson Welles saying too much in the opening. This is a ghost story, so you're waiting for the supernatural and you get it. It's funny, that open, the content of that opening, as soon as it was done, left my head. Again, I know he's a genius and I, I love him and he does great work, but that is such but Eric, self-grandizing monologue at the opening. There's a huge assumption here that Orson Welles wrote this himself, and that's always <laughs> this thing about Orson Welles. Right. Like, this is the fourth episode of Suspense. They've got the biggest star they've ever had and the biggest star they're going to have in that first season of Suspense in Orson Welles. I, I think this was written for him. It was written yep. to underscore who this brand new show, still trying to get some street cred, had scored. 
Yeah. As Orson Welles is a guest because I went through and listened to the entire first season of Suspense recently, uh, <laughs> and this is very different from everything else. There's no other star that's given right. a monologue. This was a producer or director choice, and it was obviously written to underscore his fame at that time, which was for unusual stories, as he remarks. So I think to approach this as if this was an extemporaneous monologue <laughs> about himself that no one knew about and he just got in front of the microphone and wouldn't stop talking about himself <laughs> is, is not fair to project that all on Orson Welles. The quality he might have when he speaks that might annoy or irritate I think is fair, but I just don't want to suggest that he insisted on this monologue being no. But he did have the right to say, yeah, I don't want to read this. The, the quality of... <laughs> this is so funny, because this is, Eric, you always say, like, I'll do anything for 50 bucks. Like, well, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. All right. God, you like, got whatever, me there. Whatever Orson Welles not have some sort of line he won't cross. God, you're Whatever so the right. source of it was, the quality of, I'm going to introduce myself, I'm Orson Welles, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, a certain show I did that caused a little bit of a stir that will remain nameless. Like, if you have to mention why you're so famous, maybe you're not so famous. <laughs> yeah, but again, I don't know that he had to mention that. I think that was suspense wanting to make sure everyone knew. Look who we got. Yeah, because right. you notice I'll... Orson Welles was in other episodes of Suspense, and they didn't give him a big opening monologue. Also, I think it was meant to mirror his openings of a Mercury Theater because he traditionally opened the Mercury yep. Theater with a monologue contextualizing. Can't you just let us pick on that man? <laughs> you can pick away, but just pick at him for the right things. He'd no, if it's tough. fair, it's he... critique. I just mean let's unfairly abuse him. Oh, okay. You're right. <laughs> It'd just be tough to go on vacation with him. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what I find interesting, who, whether it was Wells who wanted it there, whether it was his original intro when he performed it on the Orson Welles show or not, I'd be curious to know or if it was the suspense producers, they clearly really wanted to delineate what they were doing on suspense. This was supposed to be a classier type of show than other horror shows. Yep. And that was the most interesting thing outside of Orson Welles' oversized personality that this was trying to say, we are this more sophisticated existential horror, not the phosphorescent foolishness uh, they called the other things that, that I assume were things like Inner Sanctum and The Witch's Tale that they wanted to say this is a very different type. It's okay that we're doing this. Uh, when we were talking a little bit earlier about that phone call and the power of that, immediately after that, that beautiful little coda of in desolate, star-covered New Mexico I thought was just beautiful. Yes. I loved that so much. You got well, that feeling of middle of nowhere forever. Uh, but it was beautiful, too, because it really put a, this sort of romance to New Mexico, which I yeah. love, a sort of state mythology. And those last lines are really surprising and leave you with a lot of questions, which I like in a ghost story, that he is waiting for me and somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. Yep. Which makes you go, wait, I thought I did know. Maybe I don't. <laughs> I love an end that makes you stop and force yourself to go back over the entire episode or just re-listen to it with the information gained in the last sentence. Right. And that's what this one makes me want to do. So I know we're kind of doing this backwards and we like it so much. This happens a lot. When we like something, we just hop all over the place like small, excited children. <laughs> but right. I'm curious about what your interpretation 
of that end is and who the hitchhiker is. Oh, never thought about it till right now. The thought that pops into my head is that it is another lost soul that this road is full of <laughs> dead people wandering forever in some way that that is beckoning him to understand you're dead and to cross over. That's kind of what I got mm-hmm. out of it. Uh, if you made me write an explanation of what I think that hitchhiker is, I think it's the last thing he saw. Um, Yours is better. That, you know, that he is somewhat in denial of his own death, and the image of that hitchhiker keeps pulling him back to like, no, you, you died. What I like about it is it provides some kind of vague role reversal, because when Ron picks up the hitchhiker, that act is him admitting that he is dead. And so he's, he's really hitching a ride with the hitchhiker, you know, to a certain extent. Because once he picks him up, he is admitting to himself he's dead. And from there, presumably, he will move on with the hitchhiker. It's an interesting exchange in thinking of he was taking a trip from New York to California. At one point, he, he lies to the hitchhiker and says, I'm going to New York. And the story ends in New Mexico, where he can presumably reach California, his, his ultimate destination, which would be... Who knows what existential total denial of his own death that he would become a full ghost at that point. Or, uh, I don't know, I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt. <laughs> or if, metaphorically, that's when he would, if he wants to accept it, he has to turn around and go back to New York. But he suggests at the top, he says, I don't have much time. He feels like something needs to happen or he's going to slip away. Which is another clever device that Fletcher uses. He can give us this desperate info dump about himself, how he looks, where he's from, because he's afraid he's going to forget it. So it gives you this narrative information about his mental state and that he's in some form of jeopardy that we don't quite understand, but it also is a nice cheat for audio where he can just tell you, I'm tall, dark, with a mustache. And then being tall, dark, with a mustache is important to know when he picks up the female hitchhiker who thinks he's quite attractive. (laughs) I wanted to bring up the female hitchhiker. What do you guys make of that? Is it, oh, this woman got picked up by a ghost car and a ghost driver, and she didn't know it? Or is she something else? He interacts with a lot of different people. And are these real people that he is haunting to some degree, or are these all metaphors for something on his afterlife journey? Right. But as he goes, he gets more upset, and he tends to anger and frustrate people (laughs) as the play goes on, because he shows up at the, I don't know, cafe or something that's closed where he wants coffee and wakes them up and makes them really angry and then he spooks the hell out of the female hitchhiker by trying to run a guy down (laughs) and then he scares the cows (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of mooing a lot of mooing but if you've ever been around cows they make a lot of noise it made it sound like he was like They weren't near him. He was in the middle of them. It's like at a cow party. (laughs) But what's interesting is you hear all that mooing, but then they do say that suddenly, and I think it's weirdly the creepiest image in here, the hitchhiker emerged from the herd of steer. Um, Yep. There's that image of this beat-up schlep just appearing (laughs) from within this herd of cows is a startling and unexpected image. To uh, use as a, a transition to the sound effects... Oh, my Lord, so good. That constant driving noise of the car. 
Yep. Pulling into different places. You've got the gravel under the wheels, the bells on, on doors, which is always a great little detail. You you can see the entire little gas station or convenience store he walks into. And if, for Eric, it's got the great train whistles and bells yep. when he gets stuck on the tracks. And we already talked about those coins dropping one at a time. Yes. I also want to talk about the phone call from a nerd Lucille Fletcher point of view. It does foreshadow some of the suspense techniques she's going to use in Sorry, Wrong Number. The delays and frustrations of phone calls connecting when you desperately need to get a hold of someone and you can't. Right. Which brings up that whole thing again that I keep going back to in the last 10 years of my life. God, do you remember the time when you get a phone call? If you weren't home, that was the end of it? Well, we're old enough to remember before even answering machines. So it's right. like, yeah. it just wasn't Everybody. even a stress. Someone called you and they didn't get a hold of you. You never knew it even happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Busy signals were a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least you knew they were home. I can't imagine how frustrated I would be if I went back in time right now going, well, what do you mean I can't get a hold of that person? <laughs> I got to know where they are. I got to know what's going on. Why haven't you there emailed me back? It's been 45 seconds. Scrimshaw. Something freeing about, uh, <laughs> like, okay, we're supposed to meet at a restaurant at 2.30. It's 2.45, and I don't see you, and I might try to call you, and but you're not home. Or it's like, all right, I'll give up. Like, right. <laughs> there's no expectation of being able to get a hold of you or to, right. to coordinate. Like, But that frustration is gone in today's world. And to Joshua's point about the frustration of trying to get a hold of somebody. Yeah, it really still- ratchets up the isolation. Yeah. How many steps do you have to take to get a hold of someone? Oh, and the operator intoning at the end of that call, your three minutes are up, sir. Yeah. Your three minutes are up, sir. As much as I love that closing monologue, when I first heard it, I went, oh, you should have ended there. Yeah. But then it gets to his monologue, and I'm like, no, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Great ending. I don't audition much anymore, but that would be a monologue I would use. From here on out, if anybody asked me to audition for anything ever again. It's good. Plus, there would be something they'd never heard, I'm sure. <laughs> so the next time you audition for this podcast, that's probably what you're going to use? Oh, you audition for the podcast. <laughs> I know so a guy. Right. <laughs> Part of the reason I included that quote from Lucille Fletcher in the opening was because she's describing suspense stories, but I think she follows a lot of the rules she laid out of making things very clear for the listener or the reader and doing things in a really logical manner. And that all throughout, Ronald reacts in ways that I feel as a listener I can relate to. Like, that makes sense. I would go through all these various phases. I would see the guy a third time. It would really freak me out. But then I'd get a hotel room. I'd sleep on it. And I'd be like, I made a big deal out of that. And then I'd see it again. And I'd start to get freaked out again. But then he keeps getting these like roller coaster ride of freak out, but then talk himself down, freak out, talk himself down until it reaches a point where you're going for the big loop-de-loo on the roller coaster where he just, (laughs) there's no getting out of it now. This has to be it. And one of those details... I love it's it's a little funny too when he picks up the female hitchhiker and is basically tries to make a word problem out of <laughs> this <laughs> hitchhiker scenario like well if I'm in a car going 45 miles an hour and the ghostly hitchhiker is in another car going 65 miles an hour who gets to yeah. the gates of hell first that's really nice in that as you're saying he's been going on like testing this of like is this plausible is this plausible and at that point 
he's still trying to reasonably logically test it, but in performance and, and writing, he's really desperate. Yeah. Um, so he sounds irrational. Yeah, because at that point in Orson Welles' performance, which I think is great, is he performs it in a way where you can identify both with Ronald, because we've been with Ronald this whole time, right? So we know what he's been through, but we can also identify with the hitchhiker who's just stepping into the story with none of this background. I kind of tuned out on you guys for a second because Joshua said logical manner, and I kept imagining that's where Spock lives. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. You should be. Well, this is silly to send to a vote, isn't it? We are democracy by gum. We vote on this podcast. Not only a classic and not only one of the best of all time, arguably the best of all time. I have zero qualms with any part of this period. Not one thing. Yeah, this is one of the best writers writing for one of the best performers who Mm -hmm. both gave it their complete A game being produced by one of the best shows all across the board. Everybody was at their best, and it's fantastic and a classic. And one of the best composers. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly what you guys just said. It is a a classic, which we give out pretty freely on this podcast because we're great guys. We love radio. We we love drama. But like like you guys said, this is that kind of next tier to me of all-time classic. Yeah top 10 and partly for me this is like the kind of ghost story yeah i love it is in the tradition of like the signalman and the very best of mr james it is that horror that stems from the protagonist's like sense of dread and this Mm -hmm. inability to fully comprehend or explain what is happening to him and so listening to this i had this like real epiphany that oh the ghost stories i like the horror i like is much more kafka than stephen king right Right. (laughs) it has this sort of inexplicable nature to it that makes it so frightening and i think a good ghost story unlike a a mystery novel should be frugal with its explanations you just quoted hitchcock's manual yeah let your own brain do most of your terrifying for you (laughs) and i'm with you joshua like I don't like horror that's grotesque and in your face. And there's nothing worse than the horror of what the hell is going on. And it seems familiar. It seems like you should be able to figure it out, but you ultimately can't. So yeah, classic. All right. Finally, The Hitchhiker. Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is where this podcast lives. We have 199 other episodes right now and... Uh, you'll probably be more later. You can also comment on episodes. You can send us messages. If you have episodes of things you'd like us to listen to, let us know. We'll add them to the list. You can link to our social media pages, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Um, there's all kinds of things out there. You can listen to us on all kinds of podcasting uh, formats, platforms. That's what I'm looking for. Spotify, uh, others, Stitcher, I think. Ah, make your own list. <laughs> And uh, we'll proceed in a logical manner. <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have all sorts of different tier levels you can support us at with corresponding benefits. We have monthly Zoom happy hours, which we just started doing, and we've been having a blast just yes. hanging out, talking about old-time radio with our Patreon supporters, and it's a fun group of people, so yeah, mm-hmm. join us. But then we also have 
extra podcasts. We have uh, cliffhangers of doom looking at uh, old-time radio serials, as well as secrets of the mysterious old radio, which is weird reject episodes that didn't make it onto the main podcast, but they are a lot of fun. Um, just so much. So please, if you are able to, uh, stop by patreon.com slash the morals and check it out. I now am stuck on the phrase that entered my head of Kafka, Fran, and Ollie. <laughs> Isn't that terrible that that came into my head? Because now I want to write that sketch. Yeah. 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 Also, if you want to see us perform live, we do uh, radio shows live on stage. Of course, here in 2020, it's not exactly on stage, but you can still buy tickets to see us perform radio shows, original work. Uh, that includes adaptations. We sometimes do uh, lost uh, episodes that we can't find anymore, uh, that the script still exists, and uh, uh, reimagined recreations in the morals style of old radio classic shows. And so we are partnered with Park Square Theater in St. Paul, but anywhere in the world you can watch us and get a ticket at parksquaretheater.org to learn more about anything, including getting tickets to our shows, go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com or for the live shows, once again, tickets are at parksquaretheater.org. What is coming up next? <clears throat> well, as listeners may have noticed, uh, we got so caught up in our suspense rama that we just plowed right past our usual holiday offerings. So, um... In the tradition of England, we have offered actually a trio of ghost stories for Christmas with the bells and the hitchhiker. And then what we will be listening to next week is our fourth annual Signalman. This time it is from Lights Out. Until then, hitchhiker, hiker with a hitch. I've ended up in a ditch. <laughs> I'm That's a better dead. Rhyme than I had. I'm dead. Oh no. <laughs> Why did I call my mom? 